Hello there, welcome to the Climate Resilience Podcast Series 2 on the Shoalhaven. And water-sensitive urban design is our focus for the series. Today, it's all about water collaboration. How are councils and water utilities seeking to work together? Climate Resilience is a podcast of local government New South Wales. I'm Gretchen Miller, and with us is a water-sensitive urban designer from Sydney Water, Emma James, and the Strategic Project Manager of ISJO, the Illawarra-Shoalhaven Joint Organisation, Emma Strauss. ISJO is a collaboration of four councils, Kiama, Shell Harbour, Shoalhaven and Wollongong, and one of their briefs is to address critical matters of water on the front line of a changing climate. So how do councils work with state government bodies like Sydney Water? This is a new and evolving space as both organisations come to terms with the vital nature of reform in this area. And it's iterative. We're learning from each other and from others as we go. In this episode, we'll be setting the scene, unfolding the challenges and looking to solutions. Welcome to both Emmas. Thanks for joining us at Climate Resilience for these complex conversations. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. So I would like to start by setting the scene in brief. In the context of collaborations, what kinds of bodies utility companies have been and are and what kind of bodies councils are? So water utilities have got a key role in delivering the water infrastructure for people to drink and it's a fundamental role and equally managing the wastewater, so from their sewer systems and taking that to treatment plants and then making sure that that's disposed of or reused in a way that's safe for public health and the environment. And very often people in the community don't even know where the water comes from that gets to their tap. Uh, They don't know which dam or which reservoir in a more local context it comes from. And equally, when they flush the toilet, they don't know where that water goes. They don't know which receiving environments it's discharged into. And in the same way with stormwater, they don't realise that the water that runs off their roofs into their gutters and down those downpipes, that that goes in a separate system into street drains and then down into local waterways and in the past with no treatment at all. So anything it picks up off the road gets into those waterways. And it's been designed to be invisible. I mean, there's a reason for that. We just want to get on and live our lives and not think about those things, right? Or we did. Yeah, I think there is an evolution that the CRC for Water Sensitive Cities talks about from a a water supply focus, where you start making sure you've got water to drink and then you think about making sure that you've got your wastewater managed and then you might have a flood and realise you need to manage stormwater. But the things that follow from that are things about understanding your waterways, understanding your water cycle, how to reuse water, how to capture value from the nutrients, from the water as a resource... And then the communities, how to have water-sensitive citizens who can contribute in a way to make beautiful places where water is a part of of their spaces and a whole lot of broader benefits can be part of their communities. And Emma Strauss, in terms of the council, what kind of body is council traditionally seen as? I think we revert back to an approval body that you put your DA into and and the council will review and you'll get a bunch of demands and council also does the rubbish. And so I think we're still 
coming out of that identity crisis type thing that there's a lot of things that council does but it is not always well understood. So for councils themselves as well, even understanding that between the silos is not always well communicated. So gearing up to be setting up communities for water sensitive futures, that's a huge task within the organisation, but as we're talking to Sydney Water here, across organisations, we're talking about really big change. What has been the nature of relationships between councils and utilities? I think the aspect of scale is one that's quite significant. So Sydney Water is operating across quite a broad area with the Blue Mountains and Illawarra, as well as all of the main part of the Sydney Basin. So with such a widespread area, we've always had relationships with so many councils. Yeah, absolutely. The scale is a major factor. And I think that the fundamental role differences as well make it a challenge to collaborate. It's not impossible and it definitely has happened before and will continue to as we get better at this sort of thing. But for councils, that political aspect can make it quite difficult to come together on projects within a certain time frame. When we talk about utilities and all sorts of other utilities that council has to check in with, it's not always meaningful. And that's what we're aiming for and striving for when we're creating water-sensitive futures and cities is that we are having this meaningful engagement and that we are contributing, I guess, and working towards a a similar goal. Yeah, because council is an elected body, right? Absolutely. And And you're not going to see big projects come out of a council that doesn't have that political level of support as well. And it doesn't always align with the funding cycles of Sydney Water, so it could be a funding challenge. There's all of these things that play into it that make it quite difficult to come together on, you know, a particular thing to start driving that real collaborative place-based outcomes. Yeah. But that's all starting to change now. And I've seen some really interesting examples of work that Sydney Water as a utility has done with councils in Sydney, but also Emma Strauss that you recently had a visioning meeting post your benchmarking for ISJO for the Illawarra Shoalhaven Joint Organisation. What happened when Sydney Water came to your visioning meeting and what sorts of things were discussed there? So our visioning workshop was really about pulling together bones of what will be a regional policy. So um, I'm using the word policy lightly. It could be coming together on joint principles, this sort of thing. So the visioning was about what are the priorities for our region? What do we need to really put forward in creating something that's aspirational that we can all be working towards for our four councils in improving that the water sensitive urban space? And Sydney Water are one piece of of the puzzle in that there's very complex and I guess there's many players in this. So it's the four councils. Is Joe just coordinating that? Is there anything concrete that you guys are aiming towards? And you've got Lake Illawarra as a receiving system, for example. So people want to keep that safe. Absolutely. So there's there's some really key sensitive receivers that we're looking to improve the management of. And that's not done by one council. There's two councils involved there, but there's also all our regional players as well. So we're all valuing this is a really important aspect for our region that we're making sure that these ecosystems are supported, that the sponge effect, that we've got water that's coming through and staying within the landscapes to keep it healthy and resilient. Emma James, which councils have you worked with lately, have have Sydney Water worked with lately and what kind of projects and how did you go about setting up the communication and action infrastructure to do that? 
Yeah, the visioning workshops that the Collaborative Research Centre for Water Sensitive Cities sort of framework is supporting, there's a number of councils who've picked up on that as a way of, of setting these aspirations and really understanding a pathway to that future outcome as well. And for Sydney Water, when we're doing our master planning across a region or our sub-regional planning, we can take those aspirations of the community and really start to understand how they fit into what we need to be doing in those areas. So it really is a great opportunity to make sure that our planning is cognizant of what's happening at that local level. And I think the individual receiving waters are really important to understand, but the principles often come to the similarities in what we need to do in disconnecting impervious surfaces from those receiving environments. So trying to make those waterways not feel like there's a whole lot of water coming at them after rainfall. And so then a lot of the solutions are really quite similar across different areas. So when a community has an aspiration like swimming in the Parramatta River or other aspirations to protect ecological values that are really important to their local environment, there's some really interesting and exciting science that's being done to understand what the metrics are that you have to have to make sure that you then protect those values. And so it's a learning and evolving space at the moment, but there's a lot of work being done to understand how do we understand what levels of nutrients we need to keep a handle on, what volumes of water, what velocities, all those types of things, how can they impact on the ecological values of of a location or on the recreational values of a location. And so that's the sort of thing that when water utilities and the councils and communities are working together, we can understand what needs to happen for a particular area and start to really understand what actions need to happen How do you go about involving the community in something like that? Because on the one hand, you've got this technical expertise that needs to come to the table, but on the other hand, you've got a community that's not trained in that expertise that also needs to understand what's going on and how things work. The Parramatta River Catchment Group is is a particularly good example. They've done a lot of work over the last few years in identifying iconic species, iconic animals, that in that local environment and really... That matter to them. Yeah, that matter to them and, and that also have this connection to how we manage water. They've had a, a range of events, a river fest functions and connection into cycling and, and trying to ensure that people are, are aware of where they can access along the waterways and, of course, the swimming. So mobilising people to understand where there are areas that are safe to swim. They've got Lake Parramatta, so all that kind of exciting engagement with the community that's been done in collaboration with a range of the different councils and with that coordinating group. The Parramatta River Catchment Group has been an excellent way of mobilising that. And so Sydney Water's role has been in supporting that, having coordinator roles at various times and leading aspects of that project. So siloing actually, it's a word that's bandied around a lot, But it does seem to really be an issue. I mean, because what we have done in the past is say, okay, we need expertise in this and we need expertise in this and we need expertise in that, but not really thought about how experts speak to one another. Certainly, I think in the water space, we need these experts who are brilliant in water supply networks because they help to save energy in the way that water gets pumped from one reservoir to the next. And that's massive. 
they also understand the wastewater networks and when there is a problem in the network, they know exactly where to go to fix it. So we need those specialists who are extremely skilled in each one of the silos of water management. But with Water Sense of Urban Design, we're looking for this breadth and multidisciplinary approach where the engineer can understand what the ecologist wants and can design something new that can work across both the engineering outcomes and the ecological outcomes and the society outcomes, so these design features, which is a whole other creative sort of aspect as well. So we're really looking for this transdisciplinary kind of role, which is not everyone's interest. And so when you ask someone to come to a water sense of urban design visioning workshop, sometimes there's a lot of people who are kind of thinking, well, I don't know if I know enough to be that representative for that organisation. Emma, James, you talked about some of the challenges of this new work for you, that there's a change in the level of service. You know, now there's a whole bunch of new requirements coming into play around standards, requirements, expectations. So level of service is a really interesting concept and, and for water supply it's really quite easy. There's these very fixed numbers of metres of head of water pressure that needs to be supplied to a dwelling and you either have it or you don't and if you don't have it you can't get water into your tap on the second floor of your building. So those kind of levels of service are really certain but in the stormwater management space it gets a whole lot more difficult and even in the wastewater space there's shifting requirements. So what was acceptable 20 years ago is less acceptable now. So so, what was acceptable 20 years ago? So the concentrations of the nutrients that are discharged from wastewater treatment plants are becoming more and more strict, more stringent requirements. And that's because of we've got improving understanding of our waterways. We've got modelling that can help us understand where in the system nutrients accumulating and why those weeds are growing in that location and why we're losing seagrass in various areas, why we don't have the fish species that we used to find in abundance in certain areas. So we're starting to gain the knowledge and communities are are wanting to see the ecological values maintained and this is our opportunity to understand how to manage water better and protect those. So there's a shift in standards and expectations as well. And what you're referring to here is something we actually talked about, I think, in our first episode when we were looking at Tamworth City Council, who actually recycles 100% of their wastewater and it goes onto onto a farm. Yeah, we've got a location where Sydney Water has a farm as well, but most often the reuse is not as circular at the moment. There's a, a lot of linear pathways in our water systems where it comes from a dam to people's houses and then through the sewer network out to oceans and waterways. So the pressure is on, the population is doubling, there's old legacy infrastructure literally sort of cemented in. We've got siloing. We're also trying to guess the future, what's coming and what can we do to address it. And I'm thinking of floods and droughts and the extended droughts that we've had and the way that we use water. I think with all this in mind, and as Emma just mentioned, it's a real opportunity. So what we're seeing is actually a whole bunch of organisations that have different roles, different levels of service for the community, coming together on pretty similar objectives. We need to be starting to prepare for a more volatile climate future We know that building in resilience is going to need to happen now. So having those conversations, what are our priorities and 
where do we align? And, and this is the opportunity space, I think, really, because we see the circular economy aspect is, is fantastic and that's exactly the sort of thing we need to be doing, building into it, encouraging that and building that into the way we do things for every aspect. Some of the examples on the stormwater side is to use approaches like low-impact stormwater approaches where you try to manage the runoff from the lot as much as you can within the property. And it can be difficult if it's, it's almost impossible retrofitted, but it's been done for a long time, for decades. People who live downslope of a road have had to manage the, the runoff from their site And they use very simple techniques like trenches, gravel trenches to a garden area. And so those techniques are still very effective. So trenches from the road down to the garden, which just takes that water that might otherwise somewhat chaotically flood your place and use it to water. Or or from the roof for that house. So where where the roof and the other hard surfaces on the property could not drain to the street where the council might have a stormwater pipe... For those properties, people for decades have had easy engineering solutions which involve taking those downpipes, sometimes through a rainwater tank if they want to reuse that water, and then into gravel trenches and open areas under lawns and things like that where that water can soak in but also evapotranspire. And so those are the same solutions that will reduce the amount of runoff from our urban areas compared to what you have in a, in a standard development which is rush the water away. The simple model that is easy to roll out is to take those pipes to even design the the subdivisions to make sure that they have the levels adjusted to get those low points along the roads. And so water sense of urban design community would exist within the topography of the natural site a whole lot more sensitively. There'd be a whole lot less earthworks. They'd respond to the catchment. They'd design the drainage in a way that you have less runoff from those hard surfaces and then the waterways down the bottom. Every time it rains, they wouldn't see water coming down the little creeks because it would be falling onto the leaves of the tree. It would be soaking into the soil around the plants and very often the small amounts of rain are then just captured and and held and evapotranspired in the sponge of the soil around the houses. This is something I think Emma would just die to have considered in the developments that, <laughs> you know, she oversees. How could a utility work with a council to assist a community of individuals, homeowners, but also developers to recognise those levels of design that you're talking about there, mm-hmm. Emma James? At the moment, councils across Sydney have really different targets in terms of stormwater management and very often it's been felt that it's a bit too much to ask an individual householder to tackle this water sense of urban design thing. So it's been restricted to developments of a suitable size so that 2,000 square metres are a subdivision that a developer might be managing. So I think it's really important for us to start finding these standardised ways to make it easier for everyone to have gained the knowledge that there is an issue that we need to deal with and then find the simple solutions that can be implemented. And then also from a water utility perspective, there's opportunities to play a role in larger infrastructure in the right configuration And Sydney Water even has a a low-impact stormwater program where we try to support those types of initiatives in areas where we manage the stormwater. 
What do you think, Emma Strauss? Like when I hear you describe that, I immediately start to think of my home and I think about the fact that, you know, my back garden has a, a laneway, a grass laneway. There's flooding there and I'm thinking, well, we could dig a trench out the back there. And I'm thinking about the fact that I do have a little native garden patch, but then I'm thinking about my neighbours who have paved all their gardens. And I'm thinking about retrofitting and thinking, well, we could retrofit, but how might a council or indeed an enormous utility that is just focused on from the water getting from the mountains to the sea, how might that work if I'm the representative of the community in the room here? What do you think? I think, it, we, well, we play a fundamental role in the education. That's a big part of this. So when we talk about combating challenges of, of political will, this sort of stuff, to make changes in policy so we can be changing standards and actually enforcing any of these sort of things onto a lot or onto a development of X size, we need to have that community support. And I think that is growing in itself particularly when we start to connect that water insecurity can occur off the back of some of our extreme events and we're seeing it in our regions when it comes to the bushfires. They were pulling waters out of pools. Everyone was on restrictions because we were worried about our water supply. That's going to become more and more frequent. So if we start making those connections and we understand that water is actually super valuable, we're educating our communities, communities supporting these initiatives then the political will thing is not an issue. So I think it's a really big picture. I know that's a really big picture answer for uh, when we're talking about an example of my garden, you know, making sure that I've got, that we're diverting water into our sponge, you know, and, and really supporting the health of our sponge. Do, does everyone understand that that's what our goal is and it's actually going to make us more resilient as a community in the future? Yeah. I'm not sure. So if, for me, that's a real fundamental role in there as well is that education piece. Yeah, I think the transition from understanding the issue to then being able to talk about it and have these little pilot projects that we start to understand how they play a role and then making that widespread. That's a sort of a transition that, again, the CRC for Water Sensitive Cities talks about. How to speed that up, I think, is individuals asking the questions. Ask your council, what are you doing in stormwater management? Ask Sydney Water, what's your role in, in this area? And, yeah, find out where your stormwater goes. What's your local waterway? Uh, what's in your local waterway? Who knows about it? There's so many um, environmental groups that are advocating for their local environments and, and if you have an interest in the stormwater management aspect, you'll see a really strong connection to the health of those waterways. Emma Strauss, what are your thoughts when Emma James is talking about new requirements of council, for example? I think regional councils are quite different to Sydney councils in this space because we really don't get a huge amount of assistance from Department of Planning and Environment when it comes to urban release work. It's a council responsibility. There's not a lot of funding that comes to council to support that work. There's a lot of planning work required in this space and I think that's where it, the challenge is in, for a lot of regional councils is to resource that against all the other things they're resourcing. And unfortunately, yeah, we, I think that there's a gap there. So I think... That's the challenge in regional spaces is bringing together and making sure that water function is thought about in all of those design pieces of work. As uh, we discussed in, yeah. in the other episode exactly. in development. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. We're very much at the beginning, aren't we, of, of a real shift and it's very exciting, I think, but also 
confronting at times. Yeah, I think certainly it is confronting because the the easier solution is not to do it. The easier solution is to roll out a car park that just does one thing. I mean, it's so simple. But if you want to put in trees that will provide shade and if you want to put in water management, which will mean that those hard surfaces don't just generate a whole lot more runoff into local waterways and take all the pollutants with them, you have to really work with a whole range of other people that you weren't going to have to work with if you just rolled out a simple car park. So it's not going to happen on its own. It's not going to happen just from one workshop. It's not going to happen from one individual in one organisation trying to push it. One example I've looked at is Parramatta River, which is an interesting one because it's not a place that you would want to swim, right? If somebody said to me, let's go swimming in the Parramatta River, I'd be kind of like, "Mm, let's just go a bit closer to the harbour or the coastal beaches. So what I'm interested in is the example of something as tricky as as the Parramatta being swimmed by 2025, how that could be an example for Lake Illawarra, very different body of water, but still a receiving body of water. So maybe if you could describe Emma James, what was brought together to make that remarkable thing seem even possible? I'd be really interested. Yeah, so the Parramatta River Catchment Group came together. There was supporters from within Sydney Water and a range of others who were trying to stimulate action from a group of councils. Also, the Parramatta Lake Parramatta was a swimmable location not that long ago and the desire to swim there still. So it really did come from the aspirations from that community and then a willingness from a substantial number of collaborating organisations and certainly a, a champion in a number of the people who were involved early on. So Sydney Water's role with that project has been in a number of aspects, but some of the particular skills that Sydney Water can bring include the expertise in modelling and monitoring waterway health and in understanding some of the pressures on those waterways from our our infrastructure and supporting some of the organisations that are working across the community. So playing a lead, supporting the the role to understand the the standards in different organisations and do that standardisation piece has also been a part that Sydney Water's played in that project. And it has been, yeah, the the modelling side of it and a whole lot of technical work as well. But it isn't something that can be just copied and pasted to the next location. And so then it's hard to use that as an example of what do we just pick up and do again elsewhere. But I think the broader skill set that Sydney Water brings is relevant everywhere. And through our regional master planning, we're seeking to understand what communities want and then to bring the skill set that we can to those communities. And the more that those communities are able to describe their aspirations and their local environment and the things that they are wanting to see and the projects that they want to um, progress, the more that we can start to understand how these, how we can all work together towards the outcomes that, that are aligned. Emma Strauss, what would be your blue sky ideal for a collaboration around something like Lake Illawarra? It's really hard because my head went straight to some of the challenges. Yes, I don't know, for me, I mean, the alignment of our planning is not there. So for a release area like West Apto, right off the side of Lake Illawarra, which has an impact on the water quality and filtration rates and this sort of thing in the lake that are affecting the use of the lake, it's all related. 
However, we've had the rezoning and all of this sort of stuff occur 10 years ago. There's been pieces of work from the Department of Planning that don't align with, you know, other staff and Council has done a fair bit of work in collating a lot of the data and information that we have and obviously one of the, the benefits of local government is being that we're only looking after our LGA, not multiple LGAs. We've got the data, that's what we've got, we can pull that together and collate some of that, that knowledge for one particular small area like West Apto into one document that can inform a lot of future planning decisions. And this is where I guess when it, we talk about different organisations and different scales, it is a real challenge at a local level when there are regional things happening that are occurring at you know different times that don't necessarily align with some of the, the local actions. And I guess I'm aware of that even within the ISJO framework. So across the four councils that I work with, there's different political agendas currently. We've got recently adopted zero carbon for Shell Harbour. Wollongong did that a year and or two years ago. So everyone's at a different step on the journey, you know. So where can we find the opportunities to improve our recycled water? Where can we take these opportunities to start improving, particularly for our greenfield development? We don't want to put more pressure on our local environments because they are already degrading from the state that they were before with more abundant fish and more healthy riparian environments. So we can see these pressures. They are there. And so both councils and Sydney Water and a range of other stakeholders are seeing the challenge. And I think the opportunity is to try and move through the the transition as quickly as we can by all being on the same page and all stepping in to take on the challenge. It is painfully slow, but it does involve raising awareness of the issues, identifying what the solutions are and starting to implement them. And they will be small scale at first, but we can leverage off the work that other areas are doing and start to get common positions across different organisations and then implement those solutions at a broader scale. Being a framework that we can all refer to gives us a set of of common language and understanding our performance in the regions and within our councils and what does that look like? Where do we need to start improving? So that gives us a bit of an action plan almost. We can take it that way. And this is where it's absolutely crucial for that collaboration and to facilitate the collaboration, but also we're working towards, you know, a benchmarking so we can build a common understanding of what are the needs and the issues. And it is such a broad approach to try and, you know, improve placemaking and urban design as well as to improve waterway management and, and environmental outcomes and energy use and, <laughs> and, and water resources in, in its entirety. So it's such a broad scope that then you really do need a lot of people supporting it to provide you with the data that you can then try to really define metrics that are going to make a difference in your local area. So it's a real challenge to get the momentum and to then sustain the momentum to keep tracking back. Are we achieving what we wanted to? What do we need to do now? Are there new opportunities now? What's interesting to me is that there are these broad, broad principles, right? But we know, definitely know that one size fits all is not the way to go. And yet these broad principles can be used It's not just the bioregion, but it's the social and institutional context that changes. And so the opportunity to deliver something that worked somewhere else really can't work if you don't have someone willing to take that on, someone with that engineering capability, someone with that connection to the community to get that support. And that's why it really is quite difficult to implement some of these ideas, but also why it's so exciting when it's done well.
So that's the beauty of a benchmarking process. There's a bunch of objectives within that. It's transferable, but the answers within that are unique to the LGA. And we're not talking, it's not just actions for council. It's not just council, but council can use that as a tool, informing tool, really, to, to have that conversation again with all the other important players. One of the things that's really changed in recent years is that we used to talk about consultation and consultation was kind of code for this is what we think should happen. Would you like it to be blue or green, right? But now the the key term here is collaboration. Both council and utilities like Sydney Water are saying so. What does collaboration with the community bring that is new and different and perhaps the answer to the way forward for both utilities and bodies like councils? So the collaboration that needs to occur is is essential for any of these water-sensitive design outcomes because and, and integrated water management. With community, with bodies on the ground, and these are people who don't understand necessarily technical language but are not stupid to principles, right? Yeah, we need to get communities to be interested in, in the outcomes that, that we want to have because if you don't know that your wastewater and your stormwater are two different systems, then when they're cross-connected, then that means that there's, you know, impacts on the environment and, and those sorts of things. So we need to have communities that are engaged around, that have a higher degree of water literacy, understand the, the whole system a whole lot better. And the benefit for the water utility is that a whole range of infrastructure that can be at a smaller scale and more distributed can then work a whole lot better as a whole system. So when we try to manage things solely on our own, we have a great deal of control over those individual things, but all the individual components that feed into it are still beyond our control. And that means we're dealing with it at the end of a end of a train and that can be difficult to manage. Taking it back to source, back to where the water falls on the house is the opportunity to really manage it in a way that it doesn't cause a problem that then becomes too difficult or too expensive to deal with. So this is why going back to community now instead of being... Collaborating with... Instead of being the controlling body and the experts that are far away from your home bringing the experts back to the home almost is what we're looking at here to enable that literacy, to connect the two together. Yeah, I think the literacy we're seeking is within the communities, but it's also within our organisations. So it's also within the councils. It's also within the water utility and the regulators and the planning departments. And it's across the whole board and within government. So those who want to support a particular initiative understand that you can't just plant the trees. You need to have the water to sustain those trees. It's visible in the landscape. So you can see that the water from the downpipe doesn't go just into the ground and disappear. It actually goes onto something that you can see. That's a rain garden. And you don't choose to fill it in. You don't <laughs> you don't bulldoze it for a pergola because that's something that you care about. So there'll be a time where, where there's some transition happening and, and it'll be interesting to see where we end up. We're on the way. Emma Strauss and Emma James, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. No problem at all. Emma Strauss, who's from Wollongong Council and the Illawarra Shoalhaven Joint Organisation, and from Sydney Water, Emma James. This is the Climate Resilience Podcast Series, part of Local Government New South Wales' Increasing Resilience to Climate Change Project, funded by the New South Wales Government. 
please don't forget to check out our other episodes in this series, Sponge City, about benchmarking your council's water sensitivity and in development about how councils and developers best work together to provide water sensitive urban design. And you can find our first series online and on your podcast app, how rural councils manage water use in increasingly drought prone times. I'm Gretchen Miller. See you next time. Mm-hmm.